The Bureau of Land Management recently issued a final decision for changing six grazing allotments in Montana from cattle to bison. But the issue here is, why did the Environmental Assessment, or EA, conducted in this instance fail to analyze the full range of impacts from the proposal set forth by the American Prairie Reserve? You know, who wrote the EA this round? Because it was contracted by the American Prairie Reserve to have a, a contractor write this EA, and so... It does lend the question of, is that kind of a pre-decisional EA or not? Furthermore, what if this would have been a proposal put forth by ranchers like you or me? I guarantee that you wouldn't see a finding of no significant impact if this were cattle or sheep. Jay Bodner, Executive Vice President for the Montana Stock Growers Association, and Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council for the NCBA, are my guests as we discuss what took place and the potential implications of this decision in the future for ranchers across the country on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Hi, everyone. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on our program today. If you're listening on the radio, thanks for tuning in. And if you've chosen to download it, we appreciate that very much as well. Don't forget, also, if you like what you hear, share it out on your social media and let others know about it, uh, the information that you're hearing. Speaking of podcasts and recent episodes or episodes, more recently, last week we had a show on using long-term forecasts for stocking decisions. encourage you to go back and listen to that one. And then the week before that, it was drones on today's ranch. A very interesting one there as both Dallas Mount and I, who was my guest, we talked about how we utilize them on our ranching operations. Just a couple ideas of some things that we've talked about here recently on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, on our show today, I am pleased to have Jay Bodner, who's the Executive Vice President for the Montana Stock Growers Association, and Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council for the NCBA, joining me. We're going to be talking about a recent decision that the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, issued regarding uh, changing over some cattle allotment, grazing allotments, up in northern Montana over to bison, and just some real concerns that they have regarding that, how that decision came about, and uh, the implications that we could potentially see here in the future for those of us in the ranching industry. So that will be our main topic here today. Of course, at the very end of our show, meteorologist Don Day will be in to join us as we'll talk about our long-term weather outlook. Right now, a thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, Gelvy and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to their website at gelvy.org. And Zoetis, it's the little things that could derail progress, but your herd can be covered. Visit GetLessParasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And the American Akaushi Association. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. Well, right now, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, who is feverishly working on putting together another great issue of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin, I'm slamming a deadline for this September-October issue. I don't have a lot of time, but it just occurred to me, did I live long enough for mullets to actually come back in style? Seriously, guys, you're looking great. Let them go. My two cents. 
Yeah. Oh man, Captain, I was doing really well with this show until you mentioned mullets. Why am I not surprised about some of the things that you bring up in your two cents? But mullets, you know, I don't know if I should admit this in on air, but I was kind of in junior high, high school in the late 80s, early 90s. That was kind of a thing. I think I'll just leave it at that. And no pictures, please, folks, from anybody. I'm telling you this. (laughs) Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to get into our featured topic today. It's on a BLM-issued decision regarding changing cattle grazing allotment over to bison up in northern Montana. We'll talk about how that came about and its implications for us here in the ranching industry. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Every little thing is important to cattle producers, from daily chores to parasite control, just like protection is important to us. Based on approved labels, Valbison Suspension covers 25% more parasites and life stages than Safeguard. Visit GetLessParasites.com for more solutions from Zoetis. Consult your veterinarian for assistance in the diagnosis, treatment, and control of parasitism. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as we talked about in the first segment to give you kind of a lead-in of what we were going to be visiting with today. I've got a couple folks joining us as we talk about an issue that uh, may not affect everybody just directly here today, but I think there's some precedence that's being set that I think is really the issue that we're trying to get at here today. And joining me today is Jay Bodner, who's the Executive Vice President of the Montana Stock Growers Association and also Caitlin Glover, who's the executive director of the Public Lands Council and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Natural Resources. So uh, both of you, first of all, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. It's always a great opportunity to talk a little bit about we uh, certainly think is a very important issue and uh, with the number one industry in Montana. Jay, I want to go to you first, and, and we're going to talk about what what kind of instigated our conversation here today and bringing both you and Caitlin here on our on the show. And, and that is in regards to a final decision that came out with the BLM on a decision regarding a grazing allotments in Montana, and it has to do with the uh, American Prairie Reserve. And so first of all, let, let's talk about that, because then I think that can lead us into some other discussion that we need to have as far as how it relates to folks here in the ranch industry. So let's talk quickly about that decision and what brought that about. Yeah. So on uh, July 28th, the BLM did issue their final decision on that draft environmental assessment and uh, finding of no significant impact regarding the APR's proposal. So that proposal did modify seven grazing allotments. Uh, I think the important fact out of the matter of, of this decision was there was no changes from the proposed decision. So when that proposed decision was put out, there were um, a number of protests that were filed and uh, the BLM came back and said, we're not changing anything. We think our decision was correct. And so um, they uh, issued that final decision. And um, we had a lot of concerns with that, um, certainly in the initial 
proposed decision and we do along with the final decision also. Mm -hmm. Jay, again, I want to go back to you and let's kind of set this up because for folks listening across uh, across the country, they may not be familiar with some of the parties that's involved. Of course, we know who the BLM is, but uh, one of the things that we talked about was the American Prairie Reserve and that's been a a growing entity in Montana that is consuming or or purchasing up a lot of of private land. Let's talk about that uh, because that was uh, that's the issue in part of this as well. Yeah, so the American Prairie Reserve has been in Montana and active in Montana for a little over 10 years, probably close to 15 years now. Uh, their goal is to create a wildlife preserve in Montana and with the goal of 3 million acres. Uh, they're looking at purchasing private land that is attached, that has a grazing lease attached to BLM land to make that contiguous um landscape of three million acres uh their goal also is to create a wild free roaming bison herd within that area that they own and control and so they have been slowly purchasing these private lands that do have attached to blm lands and this effort today has been there once again their goal is to uh, transition these grazing permits from cattle to bison so that they can expand their bison herd and move toward their goal so of course in montana um, one of the issues uh, if folks are not aware of uh, that you deal with when it comes to bison is the spread of brucellosis so is there any concern with that or is this a brucellosis free herd Yeah, I mean, certainly any time that you have these kind of animals, um, uh, these animals now that have come in from for the APR actually uh, came in from Canada. So they were tested for brucellosis, brucellosis negative. Um, The one thing that when you have a herd that is treated like a conservation herd is, you know, typically those animals are not a production animal, so they don't ever really make the food chain. So they're never really systematically tested after that. So uh, I think brucellosis in this case is going to be a low risk um, at that point. But um, we are just generally concerned because once again, you know, they're going to be treated differently. We don't really have any aspects to to uh, to test them to see if there's any other kind of diseases that, you know, potentially might be viable in that herd. Mm-hmm. Jay, again, uh, I know you have members that uh, are up around in that area in northern Montana that are are having to be neighbors with the American Prairie Reserve. How is that? Uh, how are they handling this? I mean, what's their take on on this situation? You know, generally, there's just a lot of concern. One about um, you know the loss of production value that happens in the community. So I think that is a a, a big one that really does hurt these communities. You know, the ranching community provides, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of economics with uh, not only, um, you know, purchases of goods and services in the community. So you lose that. Also, you know, there is a significant change in just, you know, the day to day operations. You know, fence lines are not just a four wire barbed wire fence anymore. You know, they're electrified. There's uh, significant changes to those. So if animals do get out, that creates a lot of challenges. You know, in the instances where bison do get into uh, private land and other livestock herds, cattle herds, 
in most cases, those animals are just lethally removed. They're, they're pretty difficult to, to round up and, and get back into their own pasture. So producers do have to face those kind of situations also. Mm-hmm. When uh, the, the press release that you all sent out in regards to the BLM's decision, I want to go back to that <clears throat> just a little bit here because one of the frustrations that I know you guys expressed along with your your governor, Governor Gianforte, that was really concerned with the lack of of, of input or guess I guess taking your all your all's input in this final decision that there was really none of that considered how how did that happen like that I mean what 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 is your take on it and why they did not uh, utilize some of the input data from you all so when you looked at uh, you know, the volume of comments that were sent in um, not only from ag organizations like ourselves but other ones in the state, uh, you did have the governor's office, the attorney general, um, our Depart- Montana Department of Livestock. You know, th- that was a voluminous level of comments that were submitted. And, and many of those had very specific points in there uh, that we expected BLM to respond to. Um, BLM's response to many of those comments, is, as I reviewed that document, are pretty disappointing. Uh, they are uh, really a pretty vague in their responses. And they want to treat this uh, grazing application like any other grazing application from a traditional livestock owner. And, And really our arguments against that have been very strong saying that, you know, you need a real comprehensive view of what uh, APR is really anticipating or wanting to do with their landscape and the lands they own. BLM has really just once again disregarded all of those comments that were submitted. And I can tell you they were very technical in nature. Um, and so it almost appears that um, they're treating this application a little differently than what we've seen from any other livestock owner that wouldn't, you know, move toward any kind of you know, change in their grazing livestock, uh, their grazing application like APR did. So once again, it's been very, very disappointing uh, from from our standpoint. So at this point in time, Jay, from, from a Montana perspective, where are they at now? I mean, what's the next step with this now that they've been approved of this? Where are they going with this? Yeah, so there are there is an entire administrative process with any BLM decision. Um, and so initially they come out with a proposed decision. Uh, you have, there's a protest period where you would have, a, a, you know, a 15 days to issue a protest period. When they come back and issue their final decision, which they've done today, you have 30 days to appeal that. Uh, that appeal goes to the Interior Land Board of Appeals. So another administrative layer within BLM. And from there, then you can take that to court. So we're in that appeal process. It's 30 days. Uh, We've been working with the local livestock association, Phillips County, uh, on next steps on uh, a potential appeal to this decision. And and from there, then, um, you know, it takes a while to work through that process and then potentially all the way into uh, into court. Caitlin, I know, uh, and we'll get more into a lot, having your perspective from Washington, D.C. as the executive director of the Public Lands Council. As far as just this particular decision, what do you know from your perspective in Washington, D.C. As, as far as how this came about and why it came down in this direction that it did? 
Well, I think that's a really great question, Justin. So the Public Lands Council uh, and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association have been involved with Montana stock growers and the Montana PLC, I think really since since the issue began. I've submitted comments several times throughout the years. Uh, and and why this happened, uh, I, I can't I can't give you an answer, right? I'm not at the agencies, um, but I, I think in a trend line, mm-hmm. we are seeing a greater push from the American public and, and certainly some of the um, some of the, the directives that agencies have been given to to look at wildlife in a little bit of a different way uh, and consider what multiple use on the landscape looks like with that wildlife component. And I think that's what makes this this particular case so challenging but so concerning because bison are considered wildlife and livestock simultaneously in, in, in a lot of different places across the landscape. And so the agency is, is having to, to look at these requests, like the one that APR put forward, uh, in, in, in a situation that's, that's not quite a vacuum. Um, but unfortunately, I think they just made the wrong decision here. It's, mm-hmm. it's not backed up by science. Um, and, you know, when you look at the, <laughs> the first page of, of the notice of final decision, uh, the BLM is, is pretty, pretty direct in saying that they exercised and evaluated a full range of alternatives. Uh, and I don't want to put words in Jay's mouth, but, but it sure doesn't feel like that's the case mm-hmm. uh, when all of the items from, uh, from industry, from range managers, from wildlife managers and, and state officials, uh, including uh, national organizations, uh, were, were, were to the contrary of, of where they, they ultimately ended up. Mm-hmm. Folks, my guests today are Jay Bodner, Caitlin Glover. Uh, Jay's with the Montana Stock Growers Association. Caitlin's with the Public Lands Council. And so we're going to continue with them. We're talking today about a recent decision that came down in Montana regarding the BLM's final decision on a American Prairie Reserve uh, grazing allotments that was changed up there in order to allow them to run uh, a, a bison herd up there. We're going to talk more about that when we come back as we're really diving down into this to try to get where the implications and the repercussions down the road could be as it affects ranchers here across the country. We'll continue when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Galvey and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to galvey.org. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As my guest today, Jay Bodner, Executive Vice President for the Montana Stock Growers Association, and Caitlin Glover, who's the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and also the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Natural Resources. Thanks again, both of you, for joining us here today. Folks, if you're just joining us here, we are talking about a recent decision by the Bureau of Land Management regarding a grazing allotment, about seven grazing allotments up in northern Montana. Montana and changing those allotments over from cattle to bison for the American Prairie Reserve. Uh, in the first section here today, we were talking a little bit about that as Jay was 
laying that out. I want to get now, Caitlin, you mentioned a bit ago about some of the details on the first page of that release by the BLM on their decision that seemed a little bit counterproductive or, or, or not quite in line with some some of the things that would, would make sense. And so, Jay, uh, at the break, we were talking specifically about some of those, and really some of that comes down to specific management decisions. And I find it ironic that uh, here in our in many times on our show, we're talking about ways as ranchers how we're doing what we can to be sustainable and to have do management practices that are helping riparian areas and are doing good things for our soil. So as we were talking at the break, some of the management concerns you have really are just almost 180 degrees different than that. So explain some of those decisions that you guys are really struggling with. Yeah, so um, when BLM came out with their proposed decision, one of the changes on many of the allotments were the ability for APR to remove a lot of interior fences. So they want these large common allotments and and uh, our large grazing allotments. And so one of the things that, I mean, the ranching community has improved on our grazing management system over the last 20 or 30 years is to be a little bit more systematic in our approach, a little bit more strategic in our approach for a grazing management plan. We don't just do year long grazing in one pasture. Uh, We're going, moving the grazing management plan back almost 30 years by this, um, certainly by this decision. Within that, one of the things that really certainly caught our attention was that there's the kind of the tone in the EA that bison grazing will just improve the rangeland health uh, faster and it'll be more beneficial than cattle grazing. Uh, But if you actually go back to the some of the original documents that BLM put out in in their draft EAs and if uh, back in 2018, they made specific comments within that draft EA that uh, bison are going to uh, may lead to increased shoreline and riparian trampling where bison tend to congregate. So no different than any other mm-hmm. animal. I mean, they're, they're going to camp out where it's easy and the grazing is good and, and they're going to do some damage if you don't manage them. Uh, but if you skip forward to this current draft, uh, this current decision, uh, they basically say the statement that uh, bison are going to spend less time around the water. They're going to forage at greater distances and they're actually going to improve the riparian vegetation and riparian function. And so that's just vastly different from these two EAs. And I think one of the, you know, maybe differences is, is, um, you know, who wrote the EA this round because it was contracted by the American Prairie Reserve to have a, a contractor write this EA. And so, it does lend the question of, is that kind of a pre-decisional EA or not? Mm-hmm. So it does raise a lot of concerns for us when we look at just the vast difference in those two. You bet. Caitlin, I want to go to you because as the executive director of the Public Lands Council, and I know there's a lot of push by by you all to help uh, the ranching industry deal with some of the public perception out there in terms of what we do on a daily basis in terms of managing our land, managing our livestock. There's got to be some frustration in this, as Jay was just pointing out, some discrepancies between an old EA versus a current one and seeing this and knowing that, you know, what ranchers get accused of is basically something that they're wanting to do with the bison management. 
Yeah, you know, it, it is frustrating, but I think that, that Jay's absolutely right, that, that who wrote the EA and who authored these documents uh, very clearly changed from, from the earlier iterations to where we are now. Uh, and and I, I think this is sort of what I was talking to you about earlier, that that public perception piece, that what people want from their public lands, from their federal lands, continues to change. Uh, it's what's pretty clear in in this final decision is that the, the BLM um, in this particular decision has taken a hold of the notion that grazing by one animal is better than another, um, and, and and you need to look no further than the fact that not only is there an environmental assessment or an EA, uh, but there's also a finding of no significant impact. And the BLM says that there's a finding of no significant impact, so no significant changes to the use of these grazing allotments, even in one breath. And in a later part of that breath says that there are, is going to be a change in the season of use. There is going to be infrastructure change. There are going to be changes in the way that these lands are managed. Um, but essentially that it's okay because it's it's, it's bison, right? Uh, grazing permittees, if, if they had requested a change in the season of use, modification of interior and exterior fences, uh, I, I guarantee that you wouldn't see a finding of no significant impact if this were cattle or sheep. And, and so it's, it's concerning from, from a tone perspective, but, but also for the precedent that it sets in, in the level of NEPA, the level of the National Environmental Policy mm -hmm. Act that applies to these grazing decisions. Um, I, I think it. I think it is indicative of, of some of the, the the core of the work that we do to remind people that grazing from from these kinds of, of, of animals um, is is different, but it also requires management. These producers and and Jay will tell you these permittees, these producers have managed these landscapes for in some cases generations, uh, and have have worked to have the land and the livestock work together in a predictable pattern. This decision undermines that pattern and, and changes uh, the, the the future of, of the ecology. Mm -hmm. Well, no doubt, it's kind of the underlying tone that I'm gathering from you all and in our conversation here today is just a real big head scratcher as to why all of a sudden a, a change in some of this. And I, I find it interesting uh, in, in light of, of what you were talking about, Caitlin, there and the fact that uh, myself, you know, I've got a, a forest service grazing allotment in an area that we feel if we could graze a different species on it, we would probably improve uh, improve the soil, improve and get rid of some maybe some noxious weeds. But the NEPA study uh, is is locked us into a certain thing, and here we've got a situation up there where all of a sudden things can get dialed in and changed pretty quickly. Really, when you look at the time frame of when how this has been progressing, it actually happened fairly rapid, and so I find it interesting that here we got that situation where things can be over turned over but in other areas you know we just can't seem to move off the mark and and really one of the rules is well the NEPA study doesn't allow that that's frustrating to many folks I believe you're, you're exactly right because at the end of the day it, it decisions like this make the narrative that it's rules for thee and not for me uh, all, all, the, all the harder to combat Mm -hmm. um, NEPA is is and has and probably will continue to be an, an, an immense challenge uh, for the development of infrastructure, of range improvements, of, of making some of these basic adjustments on, on grazing allotments. And so when, when things move forward in an expedited fashion, um, and, and certainly with, with outcomes like this, it, it calls into question 
um, some some of the motivations and and the robustness of of that 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 NEPA evaluation. Mm-hmm. But I think Jay hit it on the, the nail on the head earlier, and and really, it's I think some of the core challenges uh, are the the way that the BLM either addressed or failed to address uh, the the public input and the substantive feedback that stock growers and PLC uh, and the state provided. And that is a component of NEPA, that addressing those items uh, adequately as part of this planning process, that is a core component of NEPA. Um, and and the, the failure to, to address those concerns, uh, not only completely, but, but even partially, is is really concerning to us at the federal level. Yeah, for sure. Really quick before we head to break, I want to address one thing, and that is, and I and I want folks to listen to this because we have we have folks that listen to Working Ranch Radio Show that might be bison uh, owners and might be bison ranchers, and I don't think this issue today that we're talking is an issue of cattle versus bison. I think really what it comes down to is what we're looking at. And Jay, you talked about you know they're wanting to make it kind of one big, basically wildlife reserve with very little management. I think that's ultimately the issue. Is am I correct? Yeah, I mean, certainly from our standpoint, um, you know, these animals have to be treated the same. I mean, with uh, I mean, no nobody should have preferential treatment. I mean, one of the things we were faced with last year is just a pretty historic drought situation. Yeah. You know, every grazing permittee got a, a letter to say, you know, we'd like you to reduce your numbers by thirty percent. And, um, you know, in some cases, uh, people did uh, above and beyond that just because the conditions, uh, you know, warranted that. When you remove all of those infrastructure, interior fences, you know, that that management um, opportunities or uh, changes that you need to make, you know, just aren't available. So, uh, once again, you can't treat one permittee different than you can every other permittee. And so, that's just a glaring uh, example of you know some of our concerns with this decision. You bet. My guest today, Jay Bodner with the Montana Stock Growers Association, Caitlin Glover, Executive Director for the Public Lands Council. And we're going to continue. When we come back, we're going to talk about how this now correlates to folks outside. We're talking specifically about Montana and, and the situation that happened there. But there's some relevance to this for folks all across the country. We're going to talk about that when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Jay Bodner, Executive Vice President for the Montana Stock Growers Association, and Caitlin Glover, who's the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council for the NCBA Natural Resources. And uh, we, we've we been talking today about a decision that came down from the BLM regarding a grazing allotment up in northern Montana. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to the first couple segments in, re, in regards to that, I encourage you to go back on our podcast site and take a 
listen to that because it'll help is in our next discussion. And where I want to go now, Jay and Caitlin, is talking about the precedence that this could be setting as we go forward. Now, this situation, of course, took place in Montana, but there's uh, there's uh, public land all across the West, and and we see that, and and there's always you know different issues that that arise in regards to that. The biggest concern, Jay, that you guys had as as you look at this situation and how it came down for the precedence that it may be setting going forward. What does that concern look like? You know, I think one of the major concerns we have is really just the detraction away from the Taylor Grazing Act. So the Taylor Grazing Act really was developed in 1934, and it really uh, basically was uh, just a monumental piece of legislation that developed the entire grazing plan on federal lands. And really within that, it was set up that, you know, these animals um, for livestock production, it, it, it's it's really based on, you know, cattle, sheep, horses, mules. Uh, that's what the, the you know, these grazing lands are, are, are really set up for. And so with the what we see in this this decision is that it's moving certainly away from some of the Taylor Grazing Act, which um, you know now is going to allow uh, bison to be on there that we think is uh, you know not not certainly not indicated or uh, mentioned within the Taylor Grazing Act. So that is one of the concerns that we have raised. Um, BLM has kind of discounted that argument, but we do think that's a pretty strong argument as we look forward, because uh, that could have, um, you know, pretty significant changes across uh, the entire West, potentially, as, as uh, there's other groups or other uh, potentially uh, groups like APR that, you know, may move into some of these other states. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, I'm going to ask the same question to you as uh, with the Public Lands Council and, and NCBA. You know what? What do you feel is the is the precedence being set here that really is alarming? So uh, I think we have a, a few significant concerns at the federal level. We certainly share Jay's concerns with respect to the Taylor Grazing Act, but I, I think we're also concerned about some of these administrative and and NEPA um, either workarounds or, or expedited considerations that APR seemed to have been able to to compel the BLM to consider. Uh, and, and then I think the, the real question that the BLM will, will have to answer is that when you have a true conversion in use, which, which I believe this, this is, uh, this is a, a significant change in the grazing activity and the use activity, uh, what level of scrutiny is, is, needs, to be, needs to be done? Because at, at its core, federal lands, public lands across the West uh, are seeing increasing uh, demand. People, especially after COVID, uh, they want to take their families out and see nature. And for those of us from the West, you know, certainly we understand that it's much nicer to live in these places or visit these places um, than it is to, to live or work in, in a concrete jungle. But for what APR professes and what for this particular situation, um, we're also concerned about the, the other changes in use that, that accompany this, this grazing decision. APR has uh, discussed creating a reserve, discussed you know, creating a, a tourism uh, draw to the area. And that's, that the human component is something that, that we're concerned about from a from an ecological perspective um, but also from a social perspective as well that's a lot more for the blm to manage and certainly it it, it will have an, an impact 
not only on on those landscapes but on adjacent landscapes as well Mm -hmm. an odd question that i was thinking of is as you guys were answering that in regards to the precedence that it's setting do you think if from the ranching world if if we wanted to be extremely proactive on this does that decision set the blm up for for maybe ranchers to go after them and say, hey, you changed it here. Now, what about over here that's helpful to us as ranchers? It, is there any opportunity there? Yeah, Justin, maybe I'll jump in first. I think that is a good question because we've been posed that by a few grazing permittees about, um, so if I apply for maybe year-round grazing, um, you know, is that something that is available to me? It seems like, um, you know, some of those initial discussions with the local BLM office is that uh, you can apply just like anybody else, but, um, you know, you're going to be a few years out before we make any of those kind of decisions. Yeah. And we don't really have the staffing to, to, to do that. And there's going to be some real monitoring requirements. So it does appear like um, uh, even with this decision, uh, it it doesn't necessarily um, going to comply with more traditional type livestock operations. So it's a good yeah. question. I <laughs> I think a lot of people are thinking that. Uh, we'll see what how this kind of plays out in 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 the future if if things uh, if if this decision is to stand. Yeah, that's interesting because your comments, your your what the response that you were hearing back from the local office, I feel like that's a standard response across all the the agencies. That's funny that you said that because I feel like I've heard the same thing in other situations that I personally have had to deal with. Kaylin, what about you? I mean, do you think this sets some precedents? You're in D.C. You're dealing, you know, you kind of see the, you know, see some of this. Uh, do you think this sets some precedents that we can push back at these these agencies or, or is it kind of like what Jay said? It's they're, they're just going to pull the, well, it'll take a few years kind of a thing. Well, far be it for me to ever defend the agencies, um, but but yes, I think we are going to hear more of the same, that they don't have the personnel, they don't have the budget. Um, and, and the other thing I'll say is that I don't think that they have the certainty either. There is an ongoing process, the White House Council on Environmental Quality to, to revise the way all federal agencies do NEPA. We saw that during the Trump administration, and the Biden administration decided that they didn't like the Trump administration's changes. And so they're going through another process as well. Uh, And and so there's a a lack of certainty in in a lot of the agencies about the the scope, um, the the demands and and, um, variety of alternatives and and really, you know, how to make these these NEPA assessments um, defensible, not only, you know, in in litigation, but also to have defensible decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there is opportunity, certainly, that once precedent has been set, once you have uh, a decision that, that has been made, uh, certainly grazing permittees can point to that. But but I also think that it's it's incumbent upon us and where we're going to be spending a lot of our time at the federal level is working with the BLM through these NEPA changes and through updated grazing regulations because I can guarantee, or I can virtually guarantee, uh, that there will be additional attention on grazing uh, administration of the grazing program, and and, uh, and and my guess is that APR will will feature in that conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, I think what you were talking about as you started your your answer to that last question is a reality that we just have. To- we just have to know is real and that is when you have a change of administration every four to eight years it creates uncertainty is that correct 
Absolutely. There, and it's become more challenging over time when you see the, the political volatility affecting regulatory certainty. Um, so when we have, you know, administrations that are, are going back and forth from one side to the other, that creates a higher degree of volatility because they spend three and a half years writing new regulations to undo the old ones. Yeah. Uh, and agencies don't really have time to implement them in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're likely to see that. And that is the reality for not only for the ranchers and for the permittees we represent, but also for the agency partners uh, and, and those, those range folks on the ground um, as well. It's not an excuse and it's not acceptable, yeah. uh, but it is part of the equation that when you're looking at how to do NEPA to make grazing decisions or any decision for that matter. Uh, it is part of the equation that, that federal agencies have to make. Final question to both of you, and that would be just as we look forward in this and your advice to, to ranchers going forward in regards to this and, and the precedents that may be being set and the perception, the public perception that we're all dealing with. And so final question would just be your advice to ranchers as we move forward in this. I think from our perspective for our grazing permittees, one of the important things is to one, we're going to continue to do great things out there with our livestock and we're going to continue to manage the resource in a responsible way. So we're going to continue those efforts. Um, I think the other thing is that, um, you know, we need to be very aware of um, making sure that uh, kind of a, a broader audience knows exactly the great things that we do so that um, and we can document those those results also um, because we need to be making sure that we can tell our story to folks that are outside of uh, ranching uh, and the industry because you know sometimes you have that perception of uh, that uh, federal land is treated differently than private ground but frankly um, that land is all valuable. Treat those lands uh, in the utmost respect. And so I think that's kind of our message to our members is to keep doing good things and we'll work on, on this and, and uh, we'll certainly help you out where, uh, wherever we can provide assistance and make sure that, you know, if there's a challenge that we need to do, that's what we're here for. You bet. Caitlin, I'll go to you last here. Same question, just as we move forward, this your final advice to, to folks as, as we look at this issue and, and moving forward, what that would look like. So I don't know that I could say it any better than, than Jay did, but I, I would add one thing, and it's that so many of these decisions are guided by what happens here in Washington. And I know that there is uh, a lot of, I think, hesitation or there may be some reticence to, to be involved, to write comments, to, to be engaged in some of those regulatory activities. But I will tell you, there is nothing more compelling than a story from a local area, from Casper, from Upton, from uh, from Billings, from from Red Lodge, uh, mm-hmm. to be able to to put faces and operations uh, to to these issues, to to make them real human issues, because that's exactly what they are. Whether you're talking about a grazing decision or you're talking about a new land use plan, all of those have real personal, socioeconomic, ecological impacts um, that, that will that will be guided by what happens here. And so my best advice is to to be involved. Mm-hmm. Reach out to those leadership around you and and don't be afraid to tell your story because those stories, um, they make all the difference. Mm-hmm. 
You bet. Well, again, thanks to both of you for joining us here on our show today. Jay Bodner, Executive Vice President for the Montana Stock Growers Association, and Caitlin Glover, who's the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council for the NCBA. Appreciate you both joining us here and giving us a little insight, first of all, as far as what's going on up there, but then how it relates to us here in ranching and really coming down to the fact that we do need to be involved in our organizations that represent us not only on the statewide basis, but also nationally and be a part of that uh, their activities whether it's attending state conventions or national conventions but be a part of those because they are the ones working on behalf of us here in the ranching industry real quickly just a couple websites if you want more information uh, or get a hold of someone at the Montana Stock Growers Association check them out on their website at mtbeef.org again that is mtbeef.org or Public Lands Council take a look at their website and their information there at publiclandscouncil.org Again, that's publiclandscouncil.org. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here as meteorologist Don Day joining us as he does every week with a look at our long-term weather. And uh, Don, as we've talked about here, we're kind of in these dog days of summer. and uh, But at, at the same time as we head into August, we know that there are going to be some weather changes. It's hard to believe that because it's been so hot and dry for many portions of the country. So as you're looking at things uh, for the remainder of August and into September, what do you see happening across the country? Well, I see some similarities to July's weather, but at the same time, I do think August is going to play out a little bit differently. First and foremost, I think the areas that have seen the worst of the heat will continue to be the areas that are going to get picked on. So uh, this would be Texas, Oklahoma, parts of the central plains are still going to be experiencing some really hot weather at times. Now, with that said, I also expected a continuation of uh, subtropical moisture into the western and south central, uh, rather the southwestern United States. And some of that precipitation has been migrating eastward. We could talk about a little bit, you know, those Kentucky floods. You know, believe it or not, even though Kentucky is very far away from uh, the subtropical air that comes out of Mexico, well, that's exactly where a lot of that moisture came from. Uh, as moisture rotates around high pressure in the central United States, I do see that the, the Corn Belt, even the northern and western Corn Belt that uh, is suffering some dryness right now, has got some opportunities for rain over the next week or two. And I also see some of those rains getting further west. We saw the flash flooding in Las Vegas. Uh, we're actually seeing some uh, thunderstorms have over the last week or so even get into parts of California. Uh, further westward into those Great Basin states. So that's a, a kind of a new wrinkle, maybe a little bit more of a northerly and westerly push of that subtropical moisture. That will throttle back the heat a little bit in some of those western and northern areas. But I'm, 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 I'm a bit discouraged still that uh, those south, 
central plains will continue to be really hot mm-hmm. and uh, drier than all other areas. Mm-hmm. We've been pretty quiet so far of any tropical storm activity. Of course, we're maybe not in the real heat of it just yet, and we'll be getting into that. How does that look? Because that could combine with some of this monsoon moisture to generate something down in there. But does it look like the tropical season uh, for good or bad is going to pick up? Well, all indications suggest it will. And I know there was a, a lot of media out there at the beginning with, when folks were coming out with hurricane forecasting that it was going to be a really big year. And it's been a real snoozer so far. A um, couple reasons for that. We haven't seen the right pattern set up in the Atlantic. Uh, the Pacific has uh, thrown out some hurricane activity. But if you, you're not paying attention, you would never know that they were there because they're just basically been out in the Eastern Pacific wandering around, not hurting anybody. But I do expect the middle to the end of August, which is starting to get into that peak season, we'll see that pick up. And and one thing that we also are starting to see, Justin, that kind of is a, is a precursor to a more active hurricane season in terms of trying to figure out where they're going to track and where they're going to go, is that we're starting to see the formation of some high pressure starting to get growing up in the Gulf of Alaska region. And that high pressure ridge is going to help feed a bit more in the way of low pressure systems across Canada, which end up making for cool fronts that go across the northern and uh, central parts of the United States as we go through the month of August. Uh, we, we had one of these last week, but we're going to see another one of these this weekend. And one thing that I think is going to be more frequent in August is going to be cool fronts. Uh, you know, nothing that's going to bring in really big cold, but these cool fronts will help throttle temperatures back a little bit. So instead of prolonged heat, we're going to have some periods of three or four days of heat interrupted by a day or two of cooler weather. And those cool fronts will then help get shower and thunderstorm activity going. And as the month of August progresses, these fronts will start to get a little bit stronger. And we do think that maybe by the first week of September, uh, that maybe some of the heat will be breaking. So will this heat go into September? Uh, maybe not. So uh, I know folks don't want another four weeks of heat uh, in summer, but I think there may be some interruptions to the heat by later in the month and into early September and certainly tropical activity whether it's coming out of uh, the eastern Pacific, the Gulf of Mexico, or the southeastern parts near the Atlantic, uh, that may interrupt things as well. So I think August is going to play out a bit different. Mm-hmm. Now, about a week or so ago, I was telling folks at church that we were only about 142 days away from our coldest day that we typically have in the winter, which was around December 20th. And as we're <laughs> as we're fighting 97 to 100 degree weather around here. But I only say that to mention that last week in listening to one of your podcasts, you were talking snow up when you talked about alaska just a little bit ago maybe some chances of snow in august up north yeah in fact we're seeing that in fact i think i'm pretty confident that we are going to see in those higher latitudes the uh the north slope of alaska uh over to greenland those northwest territories um there's an indication that in about 10 or 12 days maybe even a little bit shorter than that we're going to see some build up of cold air and the thing to remember is Yeah, the days are getting shorter around here. They certainly are, but we still have some very long, sunny days. But those higher latitudes, this is where you're starting to lose three, four, five minutes a day of sunlight up there. And that starts to add up. So I would not be surprised at all uh, to see snow falling very far away from anybody who's listening to this 
podcast, unless we have some folks up <laughs> up north. But I would not be surprised at all if the mountains of Alaska and northwest Canada see some snow uh before the middle of the month. Mm-hmm. Well, and we'll give folks a precursor to next week. I know you have some new data that's going to be coming out, and uh, we want to share that with folks next week that maybe would give us a little bit of an idea of what the fall is going to look like for folks across the uh, across the country. Yeah, I think we're starting to see some hints, and as we uh, get some more information in coming out of the, the 30-day modeling that comes out from Canada and the U.S. and the European Model Center, uh, we're going to take a look at those and, and see what they all say about what may be unfolding as we do kind of start taking a look at fall. It's mm-hmm. not too early to start talking about it. No, no. You know, 30 days from today, it could be a completely different uh, forecast that we're talking about here. So <laughs> anyway, so, well, Don, I appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you, sir. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website is dayweather.com. Now, I point you there for two reasons. One is that is where you can find a link to his daily video podcast that's also on YouTube. Or also, if there's maybe a weather station you're interested in looking at or other things that he has or talks about, go to his website. That's a good place to get started. Dayweather.com, again, is his website. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to put a wrap on this week's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Living in the country means working in the country, and that calls for a tough tractor. Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the Build and Quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit bobcat.com. Well, we finally got the horses rubbed down after this long, hard ride here today. And before we let them out of the gates, I want to thank you for joining us on our program. If you missed something in the show, if you go to any podcast providers out there, search under Working Ranch Radio Show, you will find it. This is episode 81. Like I said earlier in our show here today, we've had some great episodes here recently. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those as well. A thank you to our sponsors, Gelvy and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to their website website at gelvy.org and zoetis it's the little things that could derail progress but your herd can be covered visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from zoetis and the american akaushi association experience the difference at akaushi.com well the working ranch radio show is a production of working ranch magazine branded number one by america's ranchers and if you'd like to find out why america's ranchers brand this as the number one magazine you can start your subscription today by going to workingranchmag.com. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me about something you heard here on the show or an idea for a future show, you can give me a call at 307-363-COWS or my email is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, again, we thank you for joining us. We'll be right here, same time, same place next week or on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Justin Mills. And until next time, Keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.